Welcome in, listeners, to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. I'm joined once again by regular co-host Nathan Heinschel. How's it going, Nathan? Oh, hey, girl. And uh, making his the Busby Babe podcast debut, uh, Colton Kaiser. Howdy. Thanks for having me on to talk about um, David Beckham wearing the new third kit and loot in town and absolutely nothing else. Yeah, exactly. There, nothing else happened this weekend of note. Um, but yeah, uh, pretty sorry display from Manchester United, a uh, 3-1 loss to Crystal Palace in the Premier League opener. Um, although a bit of positive news, Donny van de Beek uh, getting a goal in his debut. Um, nothing else really much positive to take away from that game, uh, really showing the lack of uh, preseason training. Um you know, of course, we had a couple of players with other off-the-field incidents and uh, contracting COVID-19, uh, players being forced into quarantine, and uh, the lingering effects of the media hounding Manchester United for not signing anyone. So, all of this taken into account, does a victory against Luton Town ease any of this pain? Um, absolutely not. <laughs> I, I mean, not even close. It's they, that's one of those where you have to win. Uh, I, I'd argue actually, even just a simple win is um, they probably have to go and pull a Tramir at this point, especially after what happened against Crystal Palace. Um, it, I mean, they got to prove that they're not already gassed to start the season. Uh, there, a lot of a lot of guys just did not look like they were up to fitness yet. Um, against a team that was ready to take it to them because they were confident. They beat them last year. They knew they could beat them again this year. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was pretty funny all around with the Crystal Palace game just simply because uh, you had Manchester United come out and say, hey, we don't like how people are being so negative on Twitter. And then uh, we're, we're joking that maybe Ali had joined the resistance finally and put the worst possible combination on the right side that he had available to him just to show like how badly we needed Sancho. Because, uh, yeah, it was a, that was a shit show. Yeah, I, I was looking at the heat map for this game. And for Crystal Palace, it's basically like a wraparound where most of it is going down Manchester United's right-hand side. And then the rest is basically in their, you know, deep midfield and defense. And it just kind of goes to show, you know, reading the weaknesses of this Manchester United team. And probably kind of to the strengths of this Crystal Palace team going down that wing. Uh, Timothy Fosu-Mensa, of course, is not our regular right back, so hopefully getting Aaron Wambasaka back will alleviate some of that. But I mean, we have to talk about Victor Lindelof because that first, the first and third goals, it was just a really, really glaringly obvious lack of effort on his part. Well, and I guess the second goal too, because he gave up the penalty. That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'll let Colton take that one away, but it was—it's shocking. I believe is yeah. the word I used. And the well, yeah, it's it's disappointing because um, just speaking on the, the game at whole, what happens when United lose now is that it's a very blatantly obvious that they need more depth, right? The squad just isn't good enough. It's blatantly obvious every time they lose that they just really don't have the, the, the holistic team that they need to compete, um, you know, like like other teams ahead of them or even now other teams that finished behind them last year half. Um, but yeah, Victor Lindelof, I mean, I, I really want him to work out, obviously, because he seems like a nice guy by, you know, everything we know. And um, I think, you know, you sort of need him to work out because there's not a whole lot of other options, right, at center back. Um, and so it's disappointing because it seems like 
Um, when he has errors, they're glaring errors that lead to goals now, um, and it's happening more and more frequently. Um, you know, obviously it happened in the Sevilla game, and that's where we had the famous images of Bruno Fernandez lighting him up in the middle of a European semifinal. Um, and so, yeah, it's disappointing because you know this this needs to be the guy because you don't really have anyone else, and he continues to have errors that lead to goals and and just lead to to more trouble. And so it's it's disheartening to watch because, like we've said over and over and over again there's just not you know he needs to be the guy and, and he's not and he's not there right now which is which is upsetting yeah and i the third goal was more solely his fault uh because mm-hmm. of the one-on-one with zaha but the first goal kind of showed a couple of weaknesses on manchester united's back line with you know luke shaw scrambling uh to get over late when it was really far too late for him to be taking care of andros townsend uh, by the way, even more embarrassment, Andros Townsend scored against us. But one of the positions that we're linked to in this transfer window is a left back as well as, you know, supposedly a center back. But it seems as though those rumors have kind of died down now. Um, but Alex Tellez is the name that we're linked to now after losing out uh, to Sergio Regulon, uh, him going to Jose Mourinho's Tottenham Hotspurs. Does an attacking left back really answer that question at that position, though, with, you know, I mean, that's probably Luke Shaw's biggest strength whenever he is healthy, is that he is that overlapping, you know, kind of wing back that Marcus Rashford needs to work with. Well, I I, I think bringing on Tellez or um, Regulon, like it looked like we were going to do, at the very least, those guys bring a lot more pace to that left side than what Luke Shaw does. I mean, he was just straight up beaten in a foot race mm-hmm. in that first goal. And he just wasn't there. Um, and I think the same could be said too. I'd like to see Victor Lindelof do a better job of maybe sticking a foot out for that cross. Right. Um, but I mean, Luke was a full foot back. I mean, he just had no shot at trying to defend that, that cross coming in. And so then all of a sudden it's, you know, free shot on goal against De Gea, who as talented as he is, that's, that's a pretty difficult one to happen. It's a, you know, make the save. Um, so yeah, it's what I've mentioned it in the three things we learned piece. It was, does Luke Shaw even have the self awareness? Like, does he think he's confident? Does he really truly think he's you know secure in his position? Because he even came out and said this team needs reinforcements. But I think everybody's looking at him as one of the people who probably needs to get replaced. And so um, I don't know. Maybe we saw Brandon Williams come in, and all of a sudden Luke Shaw got better because he's like, oh shit, like <laughs> I have somebody behind me right now. So maybe you bring in a guy like Alex Tellez, who is, um, from all accounts, pretty good. Uh, certainly, selfishly, I want him to join our team simply because of FIFA Ultimate Team. Um, it'd be a very nice left back to add uh, to my Premier League squad in that. Um, I, I think it's a move that makes sense. And from the numbers that are coming out, too, I think they're like 70 a week in wages. Um, pretty preferable you know, transfer costs. He's not going to be overly expensive. He'll be cheaper than what yeah. Regulon was supposed to be. Um, less expensive Brent, wages than what I think Phil Jones is on right now. Yeah. So we would be buying a guy who is, I mean, yes, he's 27, uh, 28. So he's kind of starting to hit that range where it's like, eh, he's not going to be here that long. But at the end of the day, he's not costing that much either. So I think it's a healthy risk to take when at the very end, uh, end of the day, we got to get some bodies in there and guys that can actually perform. Yeah. And uh, would be a nice chemistry link in ultimate team uh, as well to Bruno in central midfield. So uh, there you go. Um, Speaking of the midfield, uh, we saw a little bit of a change up with uh, Paul Pogba playing more on the right 
in the first half with Scott McTominay kind of playing on the left. Um, I, I think the issues with, you know, coming back from COVID-19 and Paul Pogba not necessarily being match fit yet are kind of, you know, already out there. But this kind of position change, do you think that maybe it was trying to accommodate a weaker right-hand side? Uh, Colton? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very possible that, that you know, they're trying to to sort of, yeah, like you said, accommodate the weaker, white, weaker right-hand side. That's hard to say. Um, and, and just sort of, you know, build the best lineup that they can out of what they have, um, right? Um, I've seen a lot of people say that, that the loss is surprising and it's shocking and it kind of, you know, sounds um, almost like catastrophic. But, you know, if you look at what the players have been through for the last month, and you look at what the team is and, you know, who, who's available and who's not, who's healthy, who's not, who's at a preseason, who hasn't, um, you know, I think a loss is probably makes a little bit more sense, but it's how they lost that was so disappointing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think a lot has been said over the last few days about Scott McTominay, and I love Scott McTominay, but like many people have said, um, he's just not the player that you need in that role, right? He's going to give 100% effort 100% of the time. We know that. But you need more than that out of that role at Manchester United if you are going to compete for not just third and fourth place, if you're going to compete for second and first place in the Premier League. Um, and then past that, you know, this is a club that should be competing for the Champions League and for the FA Cup, right? I mean, these these are, you know, competitions where, no offense to Scott McTominay, in that role, that's just not, you know, where he's going to be useful and where he's going to be. That's not the kind of player he is. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, really just, uh, I think uninspiring is is the best word that I had for, for both of their performances from Pogba and McTominay. Um, just kind of lethargic and not um, just not a whole lot going on. And I think um, I love Paul Pogba, but the problem with Paul Pogba sometimes is that when his performances are lethargic, they look extra lethargic and there's even more so criticism um, dumped onto him, which, you know, whether it's fair or unfair, I'm not the person to say. Um, and so, yeah, it just didn't look like there was a lot of, other than from Scott, a whole lot of energy and effort there. And I think that, you know, playing so many games after the restart and then having a short preseason probably play into a lot of that sort of just um, lack of energy and, and creativity there. Yeah. And I think it's worth saying that Paul Pogba did get two or three of United's chances on target. It's just that mm-hmm. it was very obvious that they were forced by that point, just trying to get anything going. I think. Of our 17 shots the whole game, five of them came from inside the box, which kind of shows, you know, how little creativity we had through this whole match. But bringing on Donny van de Beek for Paul Pogba, you know, a player that likes to get into the area and create chances, you know, it it led to more dangerous shots and it led to a goal as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I had the thought that maybe it would be a nice time to bring in the Pogba, van de Beek, Bruno midfield just for the sake of offense, because if you... I get the idea of trying to keep a defensive screen in there, but if your defensive screen is Scott McTominay, it's not exactly that helpful. He's yeah, like you mentioned, he's a hundred percent effort player, but as we saw against Crystal Palace, that wasn't exactly what we needed. You know, he gave away quite a few fouls, he gave away possession a lot of the time, and he's not the progressive passer that we need uh, in a deeper role in those games. Yeah, I, I think it was just it really came down to a fitness and a cohesion problem. Um, cause once again, so there's some big names that weren't even in the starting 11. It was because they're coming back from quarantine. We, it was only a month ago that everybody was hanging up their boots for the end of the season and everybody looked ragged. I mean, they were, uh, Bruno had been playing like every single minute. 
AWB had been playing every single minute. Pogba, who had missed basically the whole season, all of a sudden was playing a bunch of minutes over the summer. Um, and that's really tough. And uh, one person that was not playing every minute with those guys was Scott McTominay. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you posted in the Slack uh, during the game, Colin, in the average positioning, it looks like McTominay and Pogba are on top of each other because, like, mm-hmm. you know, nobody was comfortable where, you know, they didn't know where the other person was going to be, constantly running up against each other. Um, it just wasn't that cohesion, that partnership that we need to have in the midfield. And that's why it was so glaring that, you know, Nemanja Matic didn't even make the 18. Uh, a guy who's been a, an anchor for the team, especially when whenever we played well last year. Um, but it just makes you wonder, too. It, yeah, Pogba looked lethargic, and I almost wonder if it was to his detriment that he started in that game because he only just got over the coronavirus. So mm-hmm. he's been in his own quarantine, recovering from a sickness that um, we have found, come to find out is you know debilitating to the respiratory system. So that potentially could have affected his ability to just you know run for a full ninety. And it just looks like the moment Donny Vandebeek came on, he was more influential than I think any of the midfielders were in that game. So it just makes you wonder. Then, from a tactical standpoint, what is Ali saying in training that Donny Van de Beek doesn't get the start? Right, and we kind of thought that when Paul Pogba wasn't a starter against Tottenham back in June, is was Ali just trying to make a point to this player that you know you have to earn your position, but at the same time, how do they earn it if they don't you know get the playing time? I I'm, I think it's safe to say most of us were pretty baffled by the starting lineup when Ali released it. Yeah, I was surprised to see Pogba. Was that cold? I was surprised to see Pogba, especially. I mean, like like you've already mentioned, he did test positive for COVID nineteen, right? And he, you know, whether he was asymptomatic or not, I haven't really heard any details um, Mm -hmm. specifically about how sick he was or anything like that. But still, um, you know, recovering from an, an illness like that and probably having to be extra careful when it comes to being around teammates and training and things like that. Um, I, I can see how that would be hard for someone. And then to be thrown into the deep end and, you know, okay, here you go. Week one of the Premier League, you're starting against Crystal Palace. Um, that's that's a tough position to be in. And, and I think, you know, you can only do so much as a player, like, you know, at the end of the day. Right. All right. So we are going to take a quick break now, and then we're going to come back and talk about Luton Town and, I guess, Manchester United squad death going forward. So stay tuned. And we are back for part two. So Manchester United going into the League Cup third round against Luton Town and away match. And it has been confirmed that Dean Henderson will be starting in goal. So a first opportunity for him uh, back from his loan spell at Sheffield United to kind of show us what he's got. But I think we're all pretty hopeful that that won't be the case, uh, that he will not be tested that much against the championship side. Uh, what are your expectations for this game, Colton? Um, for some reason, I'm like a little nervous about this game. Just after the last few years, this seems like the kind of game where they either grossly underperform or they somehow lose miraculously. Um, and, and especially coming off the opening day defeat, I think that, you know, the expectation or the, on- the only reason that you're kind of satisfied with the result is if they win by several goals right if they squeak out a 1-0 win um you're going to be a little hesitant depending on the lineup of course mm-hmm. um you know about about you know was the, was it really worth it was it really productive to, to play this midweek game against Luton Town 
Um, you're going to be playing a lot of games this season. It's a compact season. You're in, you know, what, four different competitions at the same time. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I hope that Dean Henderson starting is the most exciting and suspenseful part of tomorrow. And I hope that he's not very tested. And, you know, you can you can leave Luton with, uh, what is it, a fourth round berth in the Carabao Cup, League Cup, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, yeah, my expectations, I want to say I'm... My, my heart says that they're going to win, but my head knows that I should probably set them pretty low just in case. Um, because, yeah, the last, like I said, after the last few years, you, you really never know what you're going to get from these early cup ties against against smaller clubs. Right. And I, I do think this is a good opportunity to try and bring, like you guys said, Ted and Mengi into the squad. Um, I don't know how fit Axel Twenzebe is, but, you know, we'd like to see him back after having a pretty good few appearances last season. Um, I, I want to pitch this idea to you guys. Would it be beneficial, you think, to start either Marcus Rashford or Anthony Martial, or maybe even both, uh, just to try and get an opportunity for them to, you know, get the ball in the back of the net and, you know, get their seasons rolling after, uh, you know, not really being that effective against Crystal Palace? Well, I mean, playing both your two strongest attackers might be might be the way to go um, if you're looking to upset Luton Town, who might have their eyes uh, staring at a, a trip to Vicarage Road to play Watford this weekend. You know, we could we could catch them uh, not focusing on the game at hand. Um, but I, I do like that idea, I, especially after kind of the inept performance. Shooters got to shoot, man. They got to see the ball go in the net. Um, Rashford, you know, I, it, it, I don't know when this guy's going to get a rest. Because uh, I feel like he needs that too, but you know he didn't exactly light the world on fire when he came back from lockdown. A- as excited as we were and all the great things that he did off the field, it, people still found a way to say like, "Hey, stop trying to feed children and focus on your football." Because unfortunately, like he just didn't do a whole lot. Martial came firing out of the gate. Bruno was pretty good, um, and Greenwood was great. But I don't know that Rashford was as influential. Um, at the, at the very least, from the stats, I mean, when you watch it, Rashford still creates space because of how fast he is. Like, you can't just leave him hanging out on the plank. Um, but no, I, I think them at least getting a half, maybe Martial gets a goal. I, I think that would be really important uh, for United, who, you know, got kicked. They got punched in the mouth a little bit over the weekend. I think they kind of picked themselves up. But um, it looks like Luton Town is a team that doesn't mind kind of conceding possession and countering, too. So... This would be an interesting test for United to play like a diet United and figure out what the hell went wrong this past Saturday. And it's Crystal Palace who did the same thing. Yeah. Colton? In a shortened season, you're, you need these guys to get going early, right? Because you're going to, like I've already said, you're going to be playing so many games in such quick succession. Um, we we need these guys to start scoring and start scoring fast. Um and so, yeah, I'm 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 in favor of starting them, especially you know Rashford. I think we really need to get him going. Like like you said, Nathan, um, he had sort of a rough restart, right? He um, did score. I think he scored against Palace, didn't he? At um, at Selhurst Park, mm-hmm. right? That was one of his one of his goals after restart. Um, but yeah, Martial really. Uh, the hope is that he picks up right where he left off as the season ended last year, because yeah, he was on fire, um, and I think he even scored for France a couple of times maybe during the, the international games that took place um over the last month and so yeah um you need to get him going so i'm all for it because you know if they can come on for 45 minutes in the first half score two goals hopefully you're up by 
three or four at halftime, then you can take him off and feel mm-hmm. good about it and just kind of, you know, let the game play out. And then you don't have to worry about, are we going to score? You know, do we need to leave these guys on for longer, you know, 60, 70, 80 minutes um, so we can, you know, save this and, and advance. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for starting them because, like I said, you know, you need to get shooters shooting and they need to get firing early on because we're going to be in the middle of the season in a month. Yeah. And I, I think probably good to throw Mason Greenwood's name into that mix of people we'd like to see get going. Um, not for, you know, lack of form or anything, but definitely after the Iceland incident hanging over his head, it would probably be good for him to get back to football and, you know, focusing on that. Whip a couple shots into the back of the net. Yeah, exactly. And there's lots um, to be said about there's lots to be said about what a goal just does to let make people forget about off the field incidents, right? And so for a kid like Mason Greenwood, who's literally a kid, um, you know, I think that could that could do wonders for just his general psyche and, and confidence because then people stop talking about, you know, Mason Greenwood, the England player who's getting involved in all these scandals. They're talking about Mason Greenwood, the United player who's still banging it back in. So yeah, be huge. I mean, Phil Foden, steps. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Foden uh, scoring today for Manchester City against uh, Wolves. So hoping for, you know, similar activity from Mason. Um, I think Phil Foden might be the, the Eddie Haskell of the uh, the young England players. It, he's the reason why Greenwood was in that bad situation. I don't blame Greenwood. <laughs> yeah, no other biases factoring into this. Probably <laughs> not. So Rooney did the Rooney did the the boxing celebration right after he scored against was it Tottenham I think at Old yeah, Trafford after that uh, whole thing. So does Greenwood does Greenwood do like a, a phone celebration or something yeah, like that? He'll like swipe Colin right. Blaine, kinda. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can do that if he scores against Manchester City. He can run up to Phil Foden and take like a selfie with him or something. <laughs> there, you, there you go, right in his face. Yeah, best friends. Yeah. Uh, looking at the Manchester Evening News, they came out with their predicted 11. They've got Henderson and goal, Juan Bissaka on the right, Bayou Maguire is your center back, Shaw at the left, uh, McTominay, Fred, Van de Beek is your midfield, Greenwood, Rashford, Gallo as your forwards. And my first question, I guess I'll pit to you guys. I'm going to take over the host chair. Who comes in for Bayou in the eighth minute? <laughs> is it, uh, it Mengi? I might say Matic. Move, uh, move, uh, McTominay to center back. Yeah, there we go. Hey, we know he put 100% of the effort in 100% of the time. So I think, uh, <laughs> you know, for a rainy day, you might need to call him in and say, hey, Scott. Nothing would fuel the Ollie out crowd more than seeing a throwback back three with Matic and McTominay in there. <laughs> I'm just Can you imagine Polly? <laughs> <laughs> Our Slack channel will not be fun. <laughs> oh, I'm turning notifications off. It's over. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm I'm deactivating my Twitter account if that happens. Mans was fired up over uh, Peacock not allowing him to make GIFs properly this morning, so I don't even want to imagine what the uh, two CDM center back pairing looks like. Yeah, quick promo. Stay tuned for Polly's tactical analysis video. Um, I'm definitely tuning in because he's apparently had a lot of trouble getting this thing together. So uh, maybe that will be evident in the final product. Um, or at least, the, you know, the frustration in his voice as he narrates <laughs> after finally getting it all together. Um, so I guess we can close talking about what we would like to see from our midfield tomorrow because 
you know, we would expect maybe a bit of a rotated lineup. But again, you know, like we talked about with Rashford and Martial, do you think you keep one of Bruno or Pogba in this lineup to, you know, just try and keep them fresh and as, you know, get them growing into the season? I think of those two, you'd rather, I would rather probably see Pogba just because Bruno played so much at the back end of that season. Mm-hmm. I know I'm kind of contradicting myself earlier because I said, you know, I hope we don't see Paul Pogba tomorrow. Um, but but if those are the two options, I think um, he probably needs the match fitness. He probably needs to get going a little bit, a bit, a bit better. Um, you know, like I've said about Rashford and Martial, you need to get Paul Pogba going early in the season, too, because he's going to be important for he needs to be important for your team if you're going to have any success. Um, and so in, in the midfield, I'm, I'm excited to see a full game or hopefully not a full game, but, you know, a starting a performance from from Donny, um, because I think we saw just when he came on against Palace, um, he's he's good and he's going to be exciting and he's going to be fun to watch. And so um, I'm excited to see what he can do starting, not just coming off the bench. Um, I don't know if that really answered your question. It's a bit rambly, but, yep. but yeah, I think that, you know, tomorrow's going to be interesting because, you know, I, I don't I really don't know what to expect um, because it's, you know, what, two, three days after losing your opening weekend game and you already have to play another game and then the weekend you're going to play another game. So it's a real you know machine gun starts the season. Yeah, Nathan. Well, and to kind of piggyback off of that, too, we saw during the restart over the summer when everybody's healthy, everybody's available the starting 11 is written in permanent marker. Like we know who's going, everybody in the world knows who's going to start for this team. Every time you take one piece from it, something gets really weird, really quick. I mean, IE that Norwich game. I mean, that was, we, we don't need, we, I think we spent two hours on that podcast talking about that one. So then it's like, we have to continue to refresh the squad because you cannot run these guys legs into the ground before Christmas. Um, and, so at this point, like, are we about to sell Fred or not to Galatasaray? Because if we're not, probably need to see him come out too. Um, I like the idea of Van de Beek starting. Let him get his full debut. Let him get a full 90 um, against a team that, you know, quote-unquote should be a layup. So that way he can just, like, maybe have a showcase for himself. Because I really do think he's a pretty special player. And I, as he continues to get more comfortable with the United players, I think that's going to be important. Um, not to compare him to Thomas Muller, Um because I think it's way too early to do that, but he has that kind of Rom Deuter technique to him. He finds space. That's where he was mm-hmm. so successful in Ajax. He just kind of slips into areas, and that's exactly how he scored his goal. He just kind of was there because he mm-hmm. needed to be there. Um, I'd really like to not see McTominay start. Um, so, I don't know. I just... Yeah, I, I think maybe Fred... Um, Pogba's a weird one because, like, I, I don't want to see him get hurt or overdo it, but at the same time, too, the only way you're going to get match fitness is to play. And so maybe Paul's got to get 45 minutes in, so maybe we get, like, a Fred, Paul, Van de Beek lineup. I think Bruno's already pretty much – that guy just doesn't stop running. So I think I think he's fine as far as match fitness is concerned. Um, I, I like the idea of Paul getting 45 just because of how sluggish he looked on Saturday. Maybe he needs to just kind of work himself into it. Yeah. All right. So Manchester United playing Luton Town tomorrow evening, I guess, for our UK listeners. For us, it'll be, uh, you know, smack middle of the day. Um, I'm probably not going to get to watch it, but, uh, you know, maybe it'll be worth watching the highlights later on. Um, 
I guess quick question before we close out this podcast, um, just acknowledging, you know, some of the outside noise that's going on around Manchester United and in the Manchester United Twitterverse. Uh, Patrice Evra, Rio Ferdinand and Gary Neville all had uh, quite a lot to say on, you know, morning shows and talk shows, match of the day and whatnot about the way that Manchester United is being run. Um, the kind of lack of effort on the transfer front. Um, like Patrice Evra specifically called out Ed Woodward by comparing him to the David Gill, Sir Alex Ferguson era, where, you know, multiple transfers could be worked on um, and, you know, completed in a pretty nice period of time. Do you guys think that this sort of talk from former Manchester United greats is useful? Because, of, of course, this is these are narratives that exist on Manchester United Twitter and amongst fan groups and fan blogs like ours. But when you see, you know, somebody who won 10 Premier League titles go on TV and say this, somebody who's still, you know, technically a representative of the club or a club ambassador, do you think that it's detrimental or do you think it maybe, you know, urges them to actually get some business done? Uh, it's somewhere in between. Uh, I think what it is. It's definitely the most influential thing that happens when there is this kind of noise. Um, you know, we've, we've got all these fan accounts that have, you know, tens of thousands of followers. Um, it, it's pretty easy to find them on match day. If you want to just look up the hashtag buffs, so you'll be able to find them. It, it, it's surprising, like, how many followers some of these people have. Um, but, I mean, they don't move the needle. What moves the needle is when you've got a guy with the profile of Patrice Evra or Rio Ferdinand or or Roy Keane sitting there and, you know, busting your ass uh, on Sky Sports, that's in BT Sport. That's when they start to take notice. I mean, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer signed his permanent, you know, managerial position days after Rio Ferdinand said on TV, take out your piece of paper and let this man write whatever amount of money he wants on it. So I, I really do think they take that into account because for the same reason why Ed Woodward hired uh, Neil Ashton to be his PR director, they do care about what the ambassadors of their club are saying about them because I think that moves the needle a lot more than anything that a stupid little SB Nation blog podcast will do. It's it's such a tricky it's such it's such a it's such a tr- tr- tricky topic um, when you're talking about you know there are so many opinions on the Glazer family and Ole Solskjaer. And Ed Woodward and, you know, former players, it's it's a really it's an incredibly large conversation. Right. Um, unfortunately, I think that a lot of these things do move the needle when Roy Keane goes on Sky Sports and says that De Gea should, you know, take the take a taxi cab back to Manchester after the Tottenham game last year. Or, you know, when when Patrice ever posts videos on Instagram or whatever, these things do move the needle. And I do think that they're paying attention. Um, unfortunately, I think the one that's in the most power to maybe take action and like really large scale action is someone that still works for the club. And that's Sir Alex Ferguson, um, who doesn't say much. Right. And just mm-hmm. judging off the history of the club, um, there it was a sort of a similar position after Matt Busby retired um, for the final time. Right. Where Matt Busby was still a director of the club for a long time. And I think maybe for the rest of his life after he retired. And so the managers that preceded him, um, or sorry, not preceded, succeeded him, I should say, um, you know, they, they dealt with that shadow, right? Because you're constantly working under Matt Busby and that was a lot of pressure. And that's why there was, that's probably a large reason why that there was no league title for 26 years until 1993. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's tricky because I do think that these things move the needle, 
but at the end of the day, they can only move the needle so much. And someone higher up in the club, and Sir Alex Ferguson can be that person because he's Sir Alex Ferguson, needs to say, look, like something needs to change because this isn't this isn't working the way that you think it is, and it's not working the way you want it to, right? Um, and so, yeah, it's it's entertaining and it, and it makes you feel good as a fan to watch, you know, your childhood heroes. Like, you know, these are my childhood heroes, right? Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand, Roy Keane, Patrice Everett. Like, these are guys I grew up watching. Um, and so it makes you feel good. But at the end of the day, you know, there needs to be change because there hasn't been a whole lot of genuine change that's happening to make you feel better about them just constantly going on, you know, like you said, match of the day, Sky Sports, BT Sports, whatever, and, and ranting for five minutes. Yeah, I think people are a little uncomfortable, too, because we saw we've seen a couple signings that Ali really wanted hit and the team, you know, gutted out the ability to get back into the Champions League against all odds. And now I think people are wondering, it's like, all right, we've seen this movie before because this is exactly what happened to Jose. It's exactly what happened to Louis Van All. They needed they wanted signings. They said publicly, Mm -hmm. I want these people. And it didn't happen. And then they were getting kicked out of the door. Uh, you know, six months to a year later. Um, to, and to be I, fair, I, I though, I think that's a legitimate concern. To be fair, though, I think Thomas Muller was a bit of a far-fetched transfer for Louis Vengel. <laughs> he could have been sick, though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> much better than Schweini. As much as I love Schweini, and I can't wait to play his icon card this year. Um, yeah, Muller would have been disgusting. Yeah. People forget how he, he's not that old. He's the same age as me. I mean, I, I think people because he's just been playing for Bayern for forever. Um, they they don't realize only twenty nine. Really good yeah. footballer. Yeah, kind of jelly. But I I've seen a lot of this sort of what's the point of qualifying for the Champions League if you're not going to spend this money in it? You know, obviously there's a little bit of misinformation about you know club finances and the financial planning for this year was not done with the Champions League in mind. It was done with you know the revenue from last season. So you know planning ahead and next summer is really when we'll be able to spend this money again. I think that needs to be taken into account as well. But at the same time, you you know, summers where we don't have guaranteed champions league football or champions league revenue for that matter, uh, are some of the summers where we've spent really big money to try and get back there. Um, Perhaps the Bruno Fernandez transfer fee paid in, you know, January is really taken out of what we can spend. Or maybe, you know, we've got a couple of deals in the works, but it is really frustrating when your only signing of the season is a 40 million pound central midfielder, you know, when that's not even really your biggest area of need. Yeah, I, I was listening to Halston yesterday um, and what United's in danger of doing and, and, and I think what the fans are concerned about and I mean, frankly, what I'm concerned about um I'm super down with Edward Ward, you know, putting his foot down and say, like, we're not going to get fleeced. They did that with the Regulon deal, um, because if Regulon was a dud, then we paid too much for him. But if he was great, then we don't get, like, any fee for him when Real Madrid come calling back for him. Uh, so that's fine. But what's going to look terrible is if we do two summer transfer windows in a row now where we have had a stare down with the team after we've telegraphed for an entire year what player we want and we still pay the fee. Because if we spent the last three months saying, hey, we want Sancho and we want to pay 90 and Dortmund say, no, we want 108. And then we had a stare down. And then a week before the transfer window ends, you pay 108. And why the hell not? Did you just pay the goddamn 108 million pounds? Like if you knew you wanted them and Dortmund knew that you wanted them, 
That's I mean, this is how negotiations work. Like Dortmund have no reason to sell uh, Jaden Sancho other than they just want to count their money at that point. So and they're not in a rush to because he had the contract. So if you've telegraphed that you want him, it's a supply and demand thing. Either you pay the money or, you know, get in or get out. That's that's what the point yeah. the problem is now, because I think that's what everybody's thinking. Like, why did you just waste our two months of our time if you still paid the same amount of money? And here we are what talking about is, Jaden Sancho again. <laughs> what else is frustrating is that after the way that the season ended, even though it ended, you know, kind of um, strangely in what August was when the Premier League ended or July, whenever it was, um, you know, when the season ended and you finished third and you know you're in the Champions League the next year, it feels like you have a lot of forward momentum going, right? But to take advantage of that momentum, we knew we needed to make signings. Um, and, and no offense to Donny Van de Beek, that's that's not exactly what we were we meant, right? It's not really mm-hmm. what we were talking about. By you needed to make signings to progress and to show, you know, to move forward. Plus, I think on top of that is the added frustration that there are teams like Chelsea and even Manchester City um, and others who are out making, you know, Chelsea's made tremendous signings in the window, and it seems like they, they make a new one almost every week. <laughs> um, you know, I had um, Fabrizio Romano, I think that's how you say his name, had his tweet notifications on for probably three weeks waiting for him to tweet something about Jaden Sancho, and it seemed like every tweet was either about Chelsea or about right. Thiago Alcantara. And so, yeah, it's it's the added frustration of that, the fact that I don't necessarily think they've stayed put, but I think that it makes sense to think that, you know, to, to see what they're doing as that is that they're staying put because they just haven't done anything while everyone around them has gotten better. And maybe they were a bit lucky to finish third in the first place. And so it's just like, you know, what, what are you doing? And it's, you know, yeah. And I'm going to be overjoyed if they do end up signing Jaden Sancho, obviously, because I think that's an area of great need and he's a fantastic player. And I think it's going to be great, but yeah, if they do it with a week left in the window and then they go, Oh shit, we have six days to make three more signings that we need. Then it's just going to feel bad. <laughs> I know that sounds, right. it sounds like a funny thing to say, but like, it's just going to feel bad because it's yep, like, feels bad, man. man, you had all summer to do this and, and you waited until the last minute again, sort of like you did with Bruno. And then you went, Oh, we need a striker because Marcus Rashford's out. Um, Ole, your, your agent uh, has this guy out in China. Can he come play for us? And no offense to Odin Igalo. He's been great. That's, that's how that window looked is you waited until the last day to sign Bruno. And then all of a sudden you went, Oh, we still need a striker too. And you signed one in 15 minutes. And so, um, yeah, a lot of it's just bad visuals. And, you know, a, a club of this magnitude, of this size, of this history, you, you know, it, it, it's upsetting to see it run by such, like, just bad, I want to say bad vibes, but <laughs> that's, bad vibes. that's a funny way to put it. Just bad vibes, man. I just get bad vibes. Even when they even when they do what you want them to do, they, the way they do it, you know, the, the process just gives you yeah. bad vibes. And, and getting away from even the vibes thing, like, if you pay the 108 for Sancho, which is what Dortmund wanted the whole time, mm-hmm. that's another argument for just going ahead and meeting the asking price for a world-class talent because then you would have had a month for him uh, not in the middle of a season to get acclimated to playing with this team. And and that's when it's like really frustrating because that's when the ineptitude on the business side does start to affect the football side where we're taking so long to bring a guy in and they just they have to – grow into a team in the middle of a season when we're already having results potentially count against us. And that's, that's where it's like really the disconnect is what's killing. uh, I think everybody's mentality. Right. Well, 
when or if we sign Jaden Sancho, uh, I'm sure that day will be a day of much celebration on Twitter. But uh, hopefully it is in the near future because we've only got two weeks left uh, for this highly irregular transfer window. All right, that is going to do it for us on the Busby Babe podcast today. Uh, thank you, Colton and Nathan, for joining me. Um, if you What's guys, a score you know, prediction for Luton Town, man? Uh, 4-0 FC. Ooh. I was going to say 4-0 as well, and I hope it's 4-0 at halftime, and I can just not even pay attention to the second half and move on with my day. Um, so, yeah, I'll say 4-0 as well, even though I'm not going to be surprised if it's, it's going to be 2-1 after extra time. Yeah. <laughs> no, we go straight to straight to penalties in the, the League Cup, right? Oh, there we go. So, Yeah, I, uh, I actually I got the scoreline right for Crystal Palace, um, just didn't get the teams right. Um, so maybe I'll go for a reverse jinx. Um, without knowing how Luton Town play, other than just looking at some box scores, 1-1. Uh, and we win 5-4 on penalties. There we go. Now, right, the headlines guys. from tomorrow are all about Dean Henderson saving, like, three penalties <laughs> in a penalty shootout. I'm going to be overjoyed. I'm right. going to be the most annoying person in the world on Twitter. But, yeah. Although that, we get that could be equally terrible for just yes. everything else. As yes. great as it would be to watch Dino do that, I mean... Uh, no matter, Almost no matter what the result is tomorrow, the post will be bad. <laughs> Like, win or lose, tomorrow might be a bad day on Twitter. Right. And, you know, knowing our luck, Dino might win the starting job, come in on Saturday, and then chuck the ball in his own net. So we'll see how. Yeah. Um, all right. That's going to do it for us. You guys got anything you want to plug? Or um, actually, yeah. weirdly keeping it Manchester United related, um, Richmond Kickers play Fort Lauderdale CF on Wednesday. Uh, it's the two teams to David Beckham's team. Uh, the MLS affiliate. So I don't know if you care about what I do, uh, which I'm sure you don't. I, I, I see it in the comments all the time. You think I'm a mouthpiece for the Glazers, but um, yeah, up the fucking Reds. Yeah, I don't have anything to plug. Um, but uh, yeah, if you haven't seen the picture of David Beckham wearing the Dazzle Camo third kit, just go look at it. It's just gonna, it's just gonna improve your mood. Um, yeah. He makes it really like easy, bro. Yeah. It's just it's the best. It's the best way to see it. It's. I mean, you know, it looked fine in the friendly against uh, was it Villa last weekend, but um, you know, if you if you really want to see that kit in all of its glory, just go to. Uh, I think it's at David Beckham on Instagram. So I'll just be the mouthpiece for David Beckham. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the public opinion turning point for that kit. That was a that was a strong absolutely. for Manchester United's third kit. It was, inc- it was kit. incredible how big it shifted. I mean, right. look, no one moves the needle like David Beckham, and he hasn't played for United since two thousand three. So. Yeah. Maybe Kanye I, should get uh, David Beckham to model his stuff. Dude, I 100% said, you know what, I think I'll buy that kit now. I think yeah. everyone did. I, I even said I'd like buy the, the shorts and the socks, and he wasn't even wearing those. I just thought, hey, look, if it's good enough for him, like I'll take it. Which, by the way, if this speeds up the Sancho transfer, I will buy a Jaden Sancho zebra kit. Just fucking make the signing. Thank you. No. I'll buy all three. Look, all three, all, uh, th- th- this wasn't asked, but all three of the kits this year are good. And, and yeah, I'll just get one of each if it if it helps the uh, the asking price. So Yeah, I'll get one Jaden Sancho, one Tobin Heath, and then one Kristen Press. So yes. There we go. There yeah. we go. Now we're talking. All right. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Auf Wiedersehen.